There's a parable told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Sometimes it's referred to as the parable of the two sons. I prefer to refer to it as the parable of the good son and the bad son. Because as you read the story, it reminds us of something. It reminds us that nothing hurts quite like a broken promise. And unfortunately, a broken promise is something that we all experience all too often. To be sure, we experience broken promises so often that we actually have become accustomed to broken promises. Because if you turn on the television, or if you can afford to buy a magazine and you look through a magazine... Advertisers are constantly bombarding us with products that are new and improved. And usually the only thing that's improved is the packaging. Or they tell us about new products that have scored astronomically high on independent taste tests. Or products that are recommended by leading doctors and dentists that I've never heard of. Products that are guaranteed even to get out the very toughest grass stains. And you think about broken promises. Politicians, they're experts at broken promises. You know, things like 40 acres and a mule. Or how about this one? And everybody in here I think is old enough to remember this. I am not a crook. Remember him? Or how about this one? I like this one, but I didn't inhale. Or maybe my personal favorite is, I will bring America back together again. Promise breaking. It's become the standard for some of our kids. All of us probably remember when they were going to do their chores or be home by midnight. (laughs) How'd that work out? Or they promised they would call us or send us a text if they were going to be late. Sure you will. Or when they're little, they promise they'll stop putting peas up their little brother's nose. I remember, well, Daddy, I'm going to try to do harder in school. Sometimes they do what they say. Too many times they don't. Those of us who have raised children can relate to our text that we'll read in just a moment this morning. When our children become teenagers... Well, that's when we understand why some animals eat their young. And to those that I know this day and time, I I look at young parents with sweet little toddlers and sweet little babies, and I said, oh, love on them, hug on them, enjoy them now, because one day they'll be teenagers. And then it's all over. I've always said that young boys about the age of 12 and a half or 13 become subhuman. And they don't start becoming human again until about 25 or 26. And then I haven't really figured out exactly when the process completes itself because mine are still in their mid-30s. But that's what it's like to raise children. This text is one of the most brief and simple parables Jesus ever spoke. What think you, he said. A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, 
Go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Whither of the twain did the will of the Father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you do. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And you, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. This is one of the most urgent parables Jesus ever spoke. Because it's the story of a father that came to his two sons. And he said, boys, go work today in the vineyard. And the two sons did not make the same response. One of them just got indignant and he flatly said, I'm not going. No, I'm not going to do it. But he later repented and went and worked in the father's vineyard. The other said, oh, yes, sir, I'll go and do it. And he never made good on his promise. He never showed up. Jesus finished telling the story. And in a bold and fearless manner, Jesus applied that story to His audience. Now remember something. Jesus was talking to the church people of His day. And He told those Pharisees and those respectable religious leaders He was speaking to that they were the ones who were disobedient. And he told those respectable religious people of his day that the publicans and the harlots, the ones they despised, were the ones who were obedient. And he said, those outcasts, those people you turn your nose up at, those people you look down on, they're going to enter the kingdom of God before you do. That statement did not endear Jesus to the religious people of his day, if you can imagine that. They took him off their Christmas card list right then and there. Because Jesus awakened within his hearers a hatred that could only be satisfied with his death. Now that story has a timeless lesson in it. It was desperately needed by those people that day to whom Jesus spoke those words. But folks, if that lesson was timely, it's also timeless. It was needed by that generation. And it's been needed by every generation that's lived on the footstool of God ever since. It has lost nothing of its compelling urgency. It has a message for us. Because you see right now, right here, in Center, Texas, at 1125 on July the 11th, 2021, Jesus is putting that same pointed question to us. Which of the two did the will of His Father? You see, that's the question that really matters. Because in this story, the Father represents God. To Jesus... The one thing that was needful was doing the Father's will. To Jesus, the one thing that was needful was living God's kind of life. Because it's obedience to God that matters. 
Because there is no entrance into this new life without the obedience to God. Peter put it this way in that one gripping sentence in the book of Acts. We ought to obey God rather than men. And in his own life, our Lord regarded doing God's will as his supreme duty and his highest privilege. Jesus one time said, I came not to do my own will. Who then, Lord? I came to do the will of him that sent me. I want you to use your eye of faith right now. And I want you to, by an eye of faith, look back to that night that Jesus was betrayed. And He's eaten the Passover with the disciples. And I want you to see Him shrinking from the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's waiting for Him. He knows the death that's waiting for Him. And He falls on the ground and He prays and He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, Father, I don't want to die. I don't want to go to the cross. And if there's any way, let it pass. And then what does He follow it up with? Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. He's fighting that desperate, lonely fight in Gethsemane. But he still clings to his one great purpose in life. And that one great purpose is doing the will of the Father who sent him. You see, there's something that Jesus... Jesus dreads the cross. The human side of my Lord dreaded going to that cross. But there was something that Jesus dreaded more than the cross. He dreads failing in doing the will of God. And that's why He prayed the way He prayed in Gethsemane. Can you hear what Jesus said near the end of His journey on this earth? He said, I have glorified Thee on the earth. What else, Lord? I have finished the work, Father, that Thou gavest me to do. Jesus doesn't mean that He's just reached the end of His earthly career. At some point, all of us are going to do that. At some point, the pale horse and his rider are going to cross our threshold and we have finished our earthly work. Reaching the end of the journey is something all of us will do. But Jesus is saying that His life is a finished life. His life is a perfect life. His life is a life that's been lived within the will of God. And as He looks back on His life, He sees no blots. He sees no omission. He sees no point at which He failed to do what God Wanted him to do. He sees no tears left undried that he could have dried. No flowers left unplanted that he could have planted. And no wounds left unhealed that Jesus could have healed. Jesus' life was a perfect life, a complete life. And the secret of its perfection and completeness is it was lived completely within the will of God. That's actually the one thing that matters for all of us. The one vital thing that matters for every one of us, and that is doing the will of God, living God's kind of life. Now look at this command. It's not the command of a tyrant. It's not the command of a slave driver. It's the command of a father. God, our Father. 
some of the greatest prophets of old had a dim dream of the fatherhood of God. But Jesus comes and Jesus makes us certain of the fatherhood of God. In teaching the disciples to pray, it's Jesus who teaches us to pray and them to pray, Our Father in heaven. It's Jesus gathering little children in His arms and bending in pity over the harlots that shows us what God's like. It's Jesus we see touching lepers into purity and telling us that God is like Himself. It's Jesus when He's about to go away that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Me. And that's when Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Lord, show us the Father, that's what we need. And Jesus looks at him, and I can almost see the sadness in his eyes. And I can hear the plaintiveness and the sadness in his voice as he says, Have I been so long time with you, and thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me, has seen the Father. Jesus makes us certain of the fatherhood of God. And when we hear the commands of God, they're the commands of the One who's our Father and the One who loves us. And He loves us with an everlasting love. But I want you to notice something else about this command. It's addressed to those sons individually. Beloved, in that same way, God, our Father, speaks to us. He appeals to us, to me and to you, not in the masses, but as individuals. What does the Bible tell us? He calleth His sheep by name. God knows me. God knows you. God knows my name. He knows your name. And He singles us out from all who've ever lived and from all that will live. And He speaks to us personally. He speaks to us through His Word as if we were His sole hope to remake this broken world. And the command He gives to every individual The command He gives to me and to you is, Son, daughter, go and work in my vineyard. No man or no woman ever needs to be a hindrance. No man or no woman on the top side of God's green earth needs to stand on the sidelines and let others play the game. There are possibilities of usefulness in every one of us. It was the playwright George Bernard Shaw who gave us the definition of a gentleman. Shaw says, A gentleman is one who puts more into life than he takes out of it. All of us have the privilege to be one of God's gentlemen or one of God's gentlewomen. But we must heed God's call to labor in His vineyard. That doesn't mean we all do the same thing doesn't mean we all do the same kind of work. Our tasks are greatly varied. It also means something else. 
It does not mean that nothing counts unless it creates a lot of hustle and bustle and fussy activity and generates a lot of dust. It also does not mean that nothing counts unless it's something others can see. The worth of our work in God's vineyard is not measured by the noise and the dust we raise. And our worth of our work is not measured by how public it is or how many people see what we do. The Bible tells us Jesus went about doing good. He went to worship. He also went into retirement to rest and to pray. Jesus seemed to think that He was working in the vineyard of the Lord and He was working in God's kingdom when He was on His knees in prayer. God calls us to work in His vineyard and some of the greatest work we can do is to be prayer warriors for God. It kind of reminds me of the story one time about two women. Both of them's husbands were elders in the Lord's church and they were sitting there. This was back in a day and time when folks still mended garments. You remember that? And they're sitting there mending their husband's pants. And one of the women remarks, says, you know, I just don't know about my... John said, he's remarked just the other day that he's thinking about resigning as an elder. He just seems so discouraged in his work as an elder and in the path the church is taking. He just, he just doesn't feel like that any progress is being made. The other one said, that's surprising because my Sam was talking just the other day about how excited he is about the Lord's work. How excited he is about the direction the church is taking and how excited he is about the prospects for the church for the future. They sat there quietly, mending the husband's pants. One quietly patching the seat while the other was quietly patching the knees. God calls us to be prayer warriors. You know, as far as we know, the only thing that Jesus ever did that caused Him to break a sweat was prayer. Go back again to that night in Gethsemane. And He fell on His knees and He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Not My will, but Thine be done. Three times He prayed that prayer. And the Bible tells us that sweat, as it were great drops of blood, fell from His brow. I challenge you to read the gospel stories and find me any other instance where Jesus broke a sweat. But the one thing that caused him to labor was prayer. And we may not do anything else in God's kingdom, but we can pray. And prayer is what caused God one of the things God calls us to do. And we're needed today. We're not needed in some far-off yesterday that's past and gone. And we're not needed in some tomorrow that's never come. Jesus needs us in His vineyard today. You see, it's today when a lot of our comrades are discouraged. Today is when a lot of people have lost their vision of great things. And it's today that empty hands are stretched out to us for help. 
so many people today need a word of kindness, an act of kindness, or just an expression of love. And Jesus calls us today because it's our one chance. Are you listening? If we want to waste our lives, all we have to do is waste our todays. I'm going to say that again because it's going to be on the final exam. If we want to waste our lives, all we have to do is waste our todays. God wants us to come and labor in His vineyard. But God recognizes our personal freedom. God tells us to go and work, but He doesn't compel us. Because our God is a God of love. He's not a slave driver. And God will never break into your heart and your life against your will. He's a Father. He'll never do violence to the precincts of personality. Oh, that courteous son let's look at him first he was the second son but he was the courteous son son go work today in my opinion oh yes sir I'll do it he gives a ready and eager response and to all outward appearances he's respectful and ready to do what God his father wants him to do and he's just as polite as his brother is boorish but he's such a disappointment away from the presence of the father he forgets that he's going to go work in the vineyard And the long day passes. And he never is obedient to his father. And his conduct meets with universal condemnation. What was wrong with his conduct? He was respectful. He was polite. But the one thing wrong is fundamentally he refused to obey his father. That's the one charge. He was not obedient. The other son... His behavior is just as shocking as his brother's was encouraging. He's rude, crude, boorish, and socially unacceptable. His brutal, brazen answer is, I will not. Not the slightest hint of respect, not the slightest hint of courtesy, and makes no promise of obedience, but as the day passes, he changes his mind. Maybe it was the pain he saw in his father's eyes, and it made him restless. Maybe he remembered the sacrifices that the Father had made for him. I can almost by an eye of faith see him with a sob in his voice as he says, I shouldn't have spoken to my Father that way. I'm going to go and I'm going to obey my Father's command. And all of us, all of us appreciate the conduct of this boy Because he changed from disobedience to obedience. And you know what that's called? Repentance. So here's the great question. Which of these two did the will of the Father? The one that obeyed. And that brings to us the question, are we living God's kind of life? I don't know whether you're living God's kind of life or not. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know if there are changes that you need to make. Let's be standing together for just a moment. This morning, right here, right now, if there are changes that you need to make, if there's something that you need to do differently so you'll be living God's kind of life, so you'll be living in the will of God, this is your opportunity to come and 
Let that be made known to us what you would like for us to help you with. Just as...